This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an investment advice or an offer to sell or solicitation to buy any securities or related financial instruments in any jurisdiction. As with all investing, the strategies and topics discussed involve a degree of risk, including loss of principal. Individual financial situations will vary, and you should consult with your investment professional before engaging in any investment program. And now, The Ed Fernandez Show. Let's get it going. Let's go. Welcome to The Ed Fernandez Show. I'm Tom Roussel, and with me, as always, Mr. Ed Fernandez. Whoop, whoop. How you doing, everyone? Welcome to the show. How you feeling this morning? It's Friday. I'm good. Good. Yeah. You got a busy day. I mean, we got the podcast. You're doing some live NASDAQ trade talks later today, an appearance on that. Yeah, I got my son's birthday today, taking the fam to Mastro's. I got my land shark down here, Avar, Avor, which you guys will actually meet one day. It's a dog, everybody. Yeah, it's for a dog. <laughs> Tier one, operator dog. Yeah. Watch out. Uh, then we got a little, we got a company happy hour, so it's a, it's a nice little... Busy day. Busy day. Busy day. But every day is a busy day. Busy day. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we're talking about the most exciting topic on the internet, some would say. 1031 yep. exchanges. Oh, bread and butter. All right. So I guess briefly, for those that don't know anything about 1031 exchanges, yeah. you talk about this every single day with investors. Yep. Can you explain what a 1031 exchange is to us? A 1031 exchange is a way where a real estate investor who is selling an investment property can defer their taxes. And we call it, you're going to swap until you drop. Because if you keep doing an exchange, sell a property, buy a new one, sell one, buy a new one, and you die, all your kids or your heirs, whoever you leave your money to, get everything tax-free. So that's the point of a 1031 exchange. It helps build wealth. So the taxes don't go away, but you can continue to defer them, and then there's a step-up in basis, correct? Yeah, think about a 1031 exchange is kind of like, uh, you know, North Shore of Hawaii, right? I like Hawaii. Okay, like Hawaii. So North Shore of Hawaii, waves can get up to like 50, 60 feet. They're pretty big, right? Right. Think of a 1031 exchange like being on the surfboard. Okay. Right? So as long as you stay on that surfboard, this wave that's behind you is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the wave, you can call it taxes, Mm -hmm. right? So as long as you're staying on that surfboard, it doesn't matter how big that wave gets or taxes get. As long as you ride that surfboard all the way to the sand, right. i.e. you die, the wave never hits you. Okay. That's 1031 exchanges. That's a that's a good... I've heard you tell it, but maybe not exactly like that, but that's a good analogy. I like that. So what type of property qualifies for a 1031 exchange? Well, that's a good question because everybody's like, you know, is this a like-kind property? And here's what they mean. They mean, you know... I sold a house, I got to buy a house. I sold an apartment building, I got to buy an apartment building. That's not like kind. In 2017, prior to the tax reform, the Trump tax reform, like kind was material. It was important to define like kind because you can exchange personal property and real property. So if I sold art, 
I can exchange the art. The NBA, the NFL would exchange contracts, right? So you had to use like kind because you couldn't go from art to real estate or from real estate to gold. Well, you can't do that anymore. So you can only exchange real property. So like kind just means real estate to real estate. That's really all it means. I can't imagine being an art dealer and having that law change. You know? <laughs> it's like, that's man, that brutal. sucks. That's brutal. Yeah. Okay, well... I think one of the most important things that comes up during 1031 exchanges yeah. and questions are the timelines. Okay. So why don't we get into that a little bit? What are the timelines that you need to meet to meet a 1031 exchange? So timelines are, are, are tough. Um, timelines, there's a total of 180 days, but you got to break it up into two sections. So you have 45 days to identify. So you know, a lot of people use these terms and most people don't know what they mean. So what's identify? Well, when you open up a 1031 exchange account with a qualified intermediary, and, and let me explain what that means, is you cannot allow the money from the sale of a piece of real estate to go into any bank account you control. You have to have a third party hold that money. That's a qualified intermediary or an accommodator. It's the same, one in the same. The accommodator or the qualified intermediary is going to give you a form, and that form is going to be called your identification form. And on that identification form, you're going to put 123 Main Street, 456 Main Street, 789 Main Street. That is your identification form. You have to do that within 45 days. You got to turn in that form by 1159 p.m., day 45. Day 46 rolls in, and you didn't do that, you pay the taxes. Okay, so you have 45 days to identify. Those are the only options of your 1031 exchange that you can close on are on that form. You're you're they're They're in stone. Right now. There's there's different strategies that you can use. Most people are only know the three property rule, which is not the only strategy when it comes to your identification period. Yeah, why so, don't you explain the Let me define those. Sure. I'll define the three strategies. So the three property rule is the most common which allows you to identify three physical assets, one, two, three, Main Street, four, five, six, Main Street, et cetera. But you have an unlimited amount of value. You can ID up to 100 million or 200 million. It doesn't matter the value, but the box you have to live in is you only get three choices, okay? That's the three property rule. The 200% rule um, flips that upside down, where you can identify an unlimited amount of properties, but you're limited to 200% of the sale price of your property. So if you sold for a million dollars, you can only ID up to $2 million, but you can do it with an unlimited amount of properties. And then the third is the 95% exemption, which is you can identify an unlimited amount of properties with an unlimited amount of value, but you got to close on 95% of what you put on that form. So most people, most people don't do that. So those are the three strategies. So depending on what you're trying to do, you're going to determine what strategy you use in your 45-day period when it comes to your identification form. So most people use the three property rule, but in what world would you use the 200% rule? The, the DST world, the Delaware Statutory Trust which world, we're gonna get into which is what we're going to yeah. get into. Because if you are identifying a Delaware Statutory Trust that has 20 properties in it, you can't use the three property rule. So in, those, in, the, in, the, in, in the DST world, most people use the 200% rule. 
And then what about the 95%? You could do that in the, in the DST world as well because you have absolute certain of your clothes and you're going to close on 100%, not 95%. Okay, got it. Uh, there, here's a common term that a lot of people hear that's, I'm trying to think of when I hear people talking about 1031 exchange is what's confusing. What is boot? Well, let me, I'm going to go back to that sure. because I didn't finish the question. Oh, so okay. we have 45 yeah. days, right? Yeah. To identify, and then oh, you yeah, have the an additional 135 days to close. So the total is 180 days. So let me summarize. 45 days to identify, 135 days to close, and you have to close on what you've identified. If you don't close on what you've identified, you pay the taxes. But if you're able to accomplish all that, you have deferred 100% of the taxes. And now, what are the taxes? Right. And we'll get to your boot question. Most people go, well, you know, I'm, I want to defer my capital gains tax. Well, it's more than that. Mm -hmm. You've got capital gains on the federal level and the state level, unless you're in a tax free state, which are seven of them. Then you have depreciation recapture. Then you have net investment income tax. So federal is 15. State could be whatever that state tax is. Depreciation recapture is 25%. And then you have net investment income tax, which is i.e. Obamacare, which is 3.8% of the sale price. So you could be past 50% in taxes. So most people don't know that stuff, right? So that's why an exchange is, is like everything because you kick that can down the street and, and defer it for as long as you continue doing exchanges. Now I'll come back to your question, boot. Sure. Right? Boot, like the shoe, there's two terms, there's two different types of boot. There's excess boot and there's mortgage boot. Excess boot is, oh, shoot, I couldn't spend all my money. Uh, and so whatever money is left over from my exchange, I'm taxed on that portion as if I didn't do an exchange. Mortgage boot would be, oh, I didn't meet my equal or greater value. For example, most people call us and go, well, Ed, you know what? I have... Uh, a 50% loan to value. I sold my property for a million dollars and I have a $500,000 loan and I have $500,000 in cash. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a $600,000 loan, right? And I'm going to uh, give a down payment of $400,000. Well, I met the million dollars. Well, you didn't spend all your money, right? So that $100,000 is excess boot. The reverse of that is um, well, I'm going to get a loan for $500,000, right? And I'm going to give them $400,000 down. Well, you didn't replace the debt side, so that's mortgage boot. Either way, both scenarios, you pay the taxes if you didn't do an exchange on that portion. So you really got to focus on your loan-to-value percentage of when you're doing because you need to meet that mortgage. Yeah, so loan-to-value, what is that? right? Sure. LTV. Most people don't know what those terms are. I mean, I'm telling you, I get calls from investors who own real estate, but don't really know these terms. So loan to value is, like I said, if I sold a piece of real estate for a million dollars and I have 500,000 of my money in it and I got a loan for 500,000, that's a 50% LTV. So that's in, kind of important. So you use the term, hey, you got to focus on your loan to value. We calculate that for people all the time right. because come April 15th, the tax season of the year previously, you didn't 
calculate your loan to value correctly and you didn't meet your equally greater value, you're paying taxes. Let's go back to maybe a little scenario. You know, we live in California. Sure. Obviously, you know, our state tax is the highest. It sucks. (laughs) Yeah, it does. So, you know, I'm sure you see investors all the time that maybe, maybe they're older and they bought, let's say an industrial property for a million bucks back in the seventies. Sure. And today that could be worth 10 million bucks, right? They don't realize that they could give half of that to uncle Sam. Just like that. Especially if you've owned it for 30 years and you've fully depreciated the asset. Right. The tax bill is huge. It's incredible. It's huge. So what do you think that the biggest misconceptions are that you see in a 1031 exchange? You know, I think we talked, we, we hit it a little bit on it. We, we talked about like kind, right? So the misconception is I got to sell a house and buy a house. That's not true. Uh, one, so, I, so I can sell my industrial property and buy a piece of land, piece of land or an apartment building. Right. As long as it's real estate to real estate, that's defined as like kind. Right. Another big misconception is um, the taxes, most of the time, people are calculating on the capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. It's way bigger than that. Um, another misconception is people call us and say, oh, I've got to get equal or greater debt. That's not true. The IRS cannot force you to take on debt or be encumbered. So, for example, using the million dollars and I had a loan for 500000 And um, most people think, you know, that I have to go get another loan for 500,000 because it's the term equal or greater debt. That's not true. So if you sold the property for a million dollars, you paid off the loan of 500,000, you have $500,000 sitting in your exchange account. If you have the means to write a check for an additional $500,000, you satisfied the exchange. You spent 100% of the cash you received. These are the rules. Mm-hmm. You have to spend 100% of the cash you receive, and you have to meet your equal or greater value. So in this scenario- However you do that. That's however you do that. So in this scenario, if you actually spent the 500000 and then you added an additional 500000 you've met both requirements, and you satisfied your exchange. That's a huge misconception. Mm-hmm. I think I know the answer to this, yeah. but what would you say you see the biggest mistake people making when they're trying to complete a 1031 exchange? They call us and they say, well, I want to do a 1031 exchange. I go, okay, where's your money? It's oh, in my, it's bank, my bank account. account. <laughs> uh, sorry. Or another one is I have a check in my hand, but I haven't cashed it. There's a rule It's called constructive receipt of proceeds, okay? The IRS calls it constructive receipt of proceeds. So even though you have a physical check in your hand and you haven't cashed it, it falls under constructive receipt of proceeds. You blew up your exchange, you pay the tax. So we get that all the time. Okay. So 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 for the audiences out there, do not allow escrow to give you a check if you're trying to do an exchange. Leave the money in escrow. Right. You've closed. You, you, you're like, oh, my God, what do I do? I don't know how to do this. The last thing you want to do is have escrow cut your check. Do not do that. Leave it in escrow, but set up your qualified intermediary account and then move forward. 
which was going to be my next question. What is the first thing? I want to do a 1031 exchange. What's the first thing I need to do? Tell escrow you want to do a 1031 exchange. All right. And escrow is going to go, okay, well, escrow may have a title company. They may, they may act as your qualified intermediary. Or you can use companies like IPX 1031 or Asset Preservation. All you got to do is Google uh, qualified intermediary, bunch of companies that will come up. One of the things that you need to be careful, and then I'm you know, talking to the audience, is don't go to Bob Smith's qualified intermediary. Right. Because the reality is you're giving them limited power of attorney over your proceeds. And, and Bob Smith can run to Costa Rica with your money. I, I, have, I have a story to tell, okay? I had a lady who called, and I told her she needed to open up an account from a qualified intermediary, okay? And I told her to be careful who she used, but she didn't listen. She was more concerned about the fee. The fee was $1,500. Right. She wanted to pay $500, mm -hmm. right? So she went with Bob Smith's qualified intermediary. Bob Smith stole her money, okay? Stole her money and left. He came back. This was in Florida. It's on the news. You, yeah. you can actually Google it. I remember it, this. Right? He came back and someone saw him who got their money stole from him now, this is like not a good thing. I wouldn't suggest. You don't recommend I don't this. recommend you do this. But the person who saw him threw a Molotov cocktail in his car and burned him up. And he was in the hospital with handcuffs with third degree burns through this entire body. I don't recommend you do that. But that's how serious things can get. So please be careful who you choose to hold your money because that is a reality. It's not worth the extra no. $500,000. I mean, geez. I mean, it, you can write it off. It's an expense. Right. So our company, 1031 Crowdfunding. Yep. Obviously, 1031 is in the name. Yep. It's like you just said, the bread and butter. It's the lifeblood of the company. Yes, sir. We wouldn't be doing this podcast without 1031 exchanges. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't you talk about starting the company and you saw a need. Yeah. What was the need and how did you feel you met that need? Well, so I've been in the securities industry since 2000, right? A long time. And um, started out as selling precious metals. Then actually it was a commodities broker. Then I got into the real estate field working for your father and um, saw that the way securities have been distributed for eons, I mean, forever, is through financial services like Lincoln Financial Advisors, Merrill Lynch, LPL, things like that, where, you know, as a client, I'd sit down in front of you and you'd be my financial advisor. And you're like, look, Ed, you need this and you did, you, you pass this on. And I go, oh, nice, pretty pictures. And I trust you and I do the investment. That's how it's always been. Right. Well, in 2012, that's changed, right? 2012, they had the Jobs Act and the Jobs Act allows private offerings, Delaware Statutory Trust or partnerships or private REITs to use what's called general solicitation, where general solicitation is like, I can turn on the TV right now and go to uh, CNBC or something like that and see Franklin Templeton funds or, or the Vanguard funds. They're using general solicitation and you could pick up the phone and call them right now. They don't need to know you. Well, pr prior to 2012, 
if I didn't know you, you couldn't invest in a DST, in a private REIT. You couldn't do it. That's why it was important to use the financial services industry because the financial advisor had the pre-existing relationship. Right. Well, 2012 changed that entire rule, right? Well, now you can actually use general solicitation, right? So I could put a private placement on the website, right? I can do DSTs. I can do private REITs. I can do partnerships using the 506 rule, right? 506C rule. And I won't get into that. We can get into that to later. Sure. Um, using general solicitation. So when that law came out, I started researching and going, hmm, no one's using it. You know why? Because the financial services industry had a monopoly yeah. on, on products. And so the financial services industry is like, we're not doing this stuff. An investor can circumvent us and go directly to the sponsor, the company that's creating the product, they won't need us anymore. So, so that's pushback then. Yeah, oh, it was huge pushback. It was taboo. It was like, this is the wild, wild west. We don't think it's even real legit. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of cowboy stories out there, so we're not going to touch it. So me, I'm being, like... Being a cowboy. Being, being a cowboy. <laughs> I got a lot of cowboy stories. Whoop, Um I said, oh, you know what? I started researching and I started looking and I said, wow, no one's doing 1031 exchanges. You had Realty Mogul, you had Crowd Street, you had Real Crowd, right? No one was using 1031 exchanges and crowdfunding and combining it. So I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do, right? So I started 1031 crowdfunding and 1031's crowdfunding was to create a marketplace that allowed people, so the marketplace is like a shopping mall, mm -hmm. right? And so everyone goes to the mall, right? But the mall has, you know, Macy's or Nordstrom's or Saks or Neiman Marcus, right? And each store attracts a different customer. So I figured, okay, I'll create the mall marketplace and I'll have different types of products in the marketplace that will attract different, different clients. So now 1031 crowdfunding has apartments, student housing, senior housing, self-storage, industrial, single-tenant, triple-net leases, where you can come to the mall, you got to register, right? And actually shop based on what you like to satisfy your exchange. So that's the reason why I started 1031 Crowdfunding. So let's talk, let's dive into DSTs, Delaware Statutory Trust. Sure. You've mentioned it several times, but why don't you talk about how that qualifies as a for a ten thirty one exchange? So they've been around. So they're, they're actually they've been around prior to two thousand and four. I don't know the exact date, but two thousand and four, the IRS recognized the Delaware Statutory Trust. That's when they really took off. Is yeah, to, or DSTs, right? Um, as an option for an exchange, and it's currently on the IRS website. Right. So you can go IR, you can go DST versus IRS, and the page will show up showing that a Delaware statutory trust qualifies for an exchange. And so people get, you know, there's not a lot of information on, uh, well, there's a lot of information, but there's a lot of legalese and it confuses a lot of investors when it comes to what a DST is. So I'm gonna give away my secret sauce. Doesn't Some matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I don't have competitors, by the way. I have rivals, right? Rivals make me better. I'm not trying to beat anybody. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the way that you can think of a DST is like a living or family trust. There's a trustee that's managing a trust for the beneficial owners of the trust. The trustee in this case has real estate experience. What's inside the trust is real estate, right? Whatever it could be. 
And as an investor, you become a beneficial owner. So because you're a beneficial owner of a trust that's entitled of real property, you can continue to depreciate the real estate, write off all your expenses on your Schedule E. You get monthly income because the DST has to be stabilized assets. And then when the real estate sells, you get 100% of the upside. So as long as you think of a DST as a living or family trust, you're 95% there. What would be a practical application for a, for a DST? Let's say I'm doing an exchange and, you know, these timelines are tough. Yeah. 45 days is, is yeah. a short amount of time to identify properties that I have to close. Those, those are the ones I have to close on. So where do you see a practical application with a DST in that situation? Where it works. Right. So there's, there's a lot of ways the DST works. So I'll give you, we get calls from younger investors, 45, 50 years old, who want to remain in control, right? But their tax bill is through the roof and they're in day 40 and they can't find something, right? Nine out of 10 times, they will identify a DST as a backup, right? right? So they're going after property one, and property two, but they don't know if they're going to be able to get it, right? They have to identify in 45 days, and then they use a DST as their third option as a safety net, right, in case they can't get those other properties. So that's one application. The other application is I'm 60 years old. I've been a landlord forever. I am tired. I got grandkids now. I want to enjoy my lifestyle but I am not going to give the federal government half of what it took me my entire life to, to earn, right? So what's the best next, next thing? It's the DST. The DST in that instance allows you, number one, to diversify. You don't have to put all your eggs in one basket, number one. Number two, normally when you're, you're that age, your income doesn't allow you because you're retired to qualify for a loan. So some of these properties may have loans on it. So you're like, I can't sell this property. I don't have the cash to replace the loan. Well, the DST comes in place because the loan is already there for you. That You don't even have to qualify for the loan. As long as you're a accredited investor, right? And accredited investor is defined as an yeah, individual. I was, was going to ask right? you that. Who qualifies right. for a DST? You got to be so accredited. So right. as an individual, it's either it's an annual income of 200000 or a net worth of a million dollars excluding your home and 300000 per couple, right? Or a net worth of a million dollars excluding your home. So as long as you're accredited, you qualify for the DST, the loan automatically applies to your situation. You're not on the loan. You don't need to sign loan docs. It's non-recourse debt. You don't have to pay for the loan. It just comes with the package. Could you explain a little bit of what the difference between investing in a DST versus just traditional fee simple real estate would be in a 1031 exchange? The process? Yeah, I'll answer that question. Um, I'm going to finish what I, my thought sure, was sure. because the, those, are, those are the two practical ways of utilizing a DST. Another one is... You know, most people don't even know they exist. Right. They don't know exist. Their CPAs don't know they exist. Their lawyers don't know it exist. They, they think it's some kind of scam. But when you come down to the point to where you're running out of time, 
right? And you don't want to deal with the tenants, the toilets, and the trash. That's another practical way of utilizing the DST. So the DST has the has its place. And to summarize, we've got guys who use the DST as a parking lot, right? Ed, I couldn't find anything. I don't want to give up control. I'm going to do this DST. What should I do? I tell the investor, look, if you're a control freak and you think you're going to do an exchange in the future, buying your own thing, you should only do one DST because you want to make sure that property sells so you have all your money back at the same time so you can do something with it. If you say, you know, Ed, I'm not going to do that. I'm done. I don't even want to deal with that. Then I would say, okay, you need to diversify because it doesn't matter that all these DSTs sell. These are the practical ways that you should be using the Delaware Statutory Trust. Okay, now ask me that question again. Okay, so what is the process, the difference in the process of investing into a DST versus a traditional real estate? A lot easier. So traditional, right? Okay, I need a, my real estate broker. Go out there, pound the pavement, right? What about this property? What about this property? What about this property? Okay, I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. Offer, offer, offer. I got to put in offers. Then I got to wait till the offers get accepted, right? I got to do all that in 45 days because I would not identify a piece of real estate unless I have a, an accepted offer because you're just looking for problems. 66% of exchanges fail because people identify properties they don't even have an offer on, right? right? That is insane. So you want to make sure you get an offer, then put that property on your ID form. But in a traditional exchange, you got to get the offer, right? Then you put it on your ID form. Your 45 days go past. Now you got to do an inspection, right? Then maybe you might have to go get a loan. You got to qualify for the loan. And you got to do all of this in 180 days. It's really crazy to do. It's hard. That's a traditional exchange. Fee simple. DST, you come to the website, 1031 Crowdfunding. 1031 Crowdfunding has all the due diligence done for you. We have appraisals, title, survey, property condition real, bill of sale, phase one, phase two, rent rolls, financial forecast. You name it, it's on there. You can dig as deep as you want. And by the way, we're the only ones that do this. Again, giving away my secret sauce. <laughs> You heard it here first. <laughs> and it's the only and we're the only ones that have the technology to do it, right? right. Because our code is 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 it's intellectual property code. Right. Yeah. Proprietary code. We're not using white label. Everybody else does white label. They just change the color palettes and so a lot of their technology can't handle or facilitate all these due diligence. So every single property on our website has the ability to do as much due diligence as you want. So doing a Delaware statutory trust is so easy because you come to the website, you have all these properties. Currently right now, I think we have 60, 60, right? And you can click the data room on each and every single property and you don't have to get a real estate agent. You don't have to put on an offer. You don't have to do all these third-party reports. They're already done for you, and you can pick and choose. And we'll help you do that, by the way, because our job is to make sure that you invest in what you need to invest in based on your, your financial goals, right, and your risk tolerance. We'll help you do that. But you just go, okay, I Ed, I like that one, I like that one, I like that one. And in five days, your exchange is done. It's as simple as that. That's why the DST is becoming so popular. When I first started doing DSTs, the market was only a $300 million market as far as equity is concerned. Today, it's an over $10 billion market in equity, and it continues to grow.
Amazing. Could you explain a invest one or two investor stories of people calling in and a DST kind of saving their exchange? God, I mean, I got, I got, I know you. Have- I got a lot of those investors that, uh, you know, I was, you know, I was googling and scrambling around, and I never knew what this is. Can you explain what a DST is? And and you know, these conversations can be hour, half, two hour conversations every single time. And so, um, I had one investor just recently. Her name was Margarita, right, out of Florida. And she was so scared because this was, she was 56, 57 years old. Uh, she was divorced by like four years from her husband. She was married for over 30 years. She sold a property here in California for a little over $4 million. And this is all the money she's had, right? And I was able to connect with her because, you know, I'm somewhat bilingual, right? <laughs> yo, yo puedo hablar un poquito, pero, you know, I, I know how to speak a little bit of Spanish and enough to get me by. And and that was the connection because she would prefer to speak in Spanish. And um, she was dealing with other uh, brokers that were uh, offering different products and she didn't know what to do. And she said, I need to hire somebody to evaluate all these things. So she was going to go and hire a, a real estate attorney. And I said, Margarita, that's a real estate attorney is not going to help you. You're going to waste your money, right? You're, you, you really need someone who understands the Delaware statutory trust. So I sent her a financial model and my rivals, not my competitors, were asking her, why don't you send me what he sent you so I can see? And she had the integrity to go, I'm not doing that. If you can't, tell me the value you can give me without seeing what he's providing me. I'm, you know, I'm not doing that. So you know what we did? Normally I don't do this. We, we took our plane and we flew to Florida. And when I say we, me and my wife, mm-hmm. my COO, right? Just for her, because it was so important for us. Look, I do big exchanges, right? $4 million is average, but we do 50, 60, $100 million exchanges. I'm dealing with a $200 million exchange as we speak, right? And I, normally I don't get on the plane, get on our plane and go and see people. But for her, it was so important. So we show up to her little town home, right? Her daughter's working out of her home, right? Her daughter is like a, uh, an influencer agent, right? Okay. I, I'm sorry. You know, I think her name was Vanessa. Um, I think that's what you do, but... Uh, so we sat down with her and had my laptop, explained it to her, things like that. And she was so happy that the CEO of 1031 Crowdfunding got on his plane with the COO just for her and literally satisfied her exchange. And she was so happy. That's just one of many stories that we do for our investors because our investors are everything to us. We understand that the money that you're putting in and entrusting with us is the money that you're using to continue your lifestyle. And this is the money that you're going to leave your heirs. And you've worked your entire life for it. So we take that very serious. But that's one story that actually just happened actually last month. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, Something that you do that I see a lot of, how do I phrase this? 
there's some comp- rivals that may not do this, and I see you do this a lot. Who do you with the DST? It's not for everyone. What type of investor do you turn away from a DST? Besides, it, say they qualify as an accredited sure. investor, but what do you say? This isn't for you. Sure. Well, you know when you talk about the biggest thing that I think a DST causes heartburn for people is the cost associated with the opportunity. And I think it's because of a lack of education, people use the term fees. It's not all fees. It's there are fees, but there are also a tremendous amount of costs. So if an investor doesn't understand the cost and they have heartburn over the costs, no matter how much we try to educate them, that's, this is not for you, right? I, I do not want to have a client five years from now be upset. I would rather just say, look, it's better the part ways. Or there are investors, there are good DSTs, there are okay DSTs, and there are not so good DSTs. Uh, I'm going to be nice. To put it lightly. Lightly. Not so good DSTs. And we get investors that want to invest in not so good DSTs for whatever reason, right? It could have a huge name behind it, right? And I'll- pretty pictures. Or pretty pictures, whatever. And I'll tell the investors, look, in order to invest in this deal, you have to send me an email saying you chose it. Because five years from now, when you lose money, you're not going to remember I told you not to do it. But at least I have a document showing, hey, this is you. You chose it. If they're not willing to send me that email, there are plenty of rivals that will be happy to take your money at your expense. It's true. (laughs) I'm just being honest, right? I mean, you know, I got guys, I got guys who give discounts, right? Because they have no added value. So they need to give discounts on the cost to be able to get the business. And look, I'm not opposed to that, but we add a a tremendous amount of value. So 90% of the time, 95% of the time, we, we just don't do that because- there's a cost of doing this business and we provide so much technology and so much value. You know how many times people call us and go, your website, hands down, is the best website out of all our rivals to date. And we continue to make it better. So I'm digressing, uh, but I, I think I want to make, I know you're going to ask me more questions, but I think I want to make a, a statement that I think is very important. We are not DST brokers. That's kind of diminishes our value, right? A DST broker to me is a individual that works for a financial firm and the financial firm tells them what they can sell. That's a broker, okay? We are not that. Okay. We buy our own real estate. I, or 1031 crowdfunding, 
we're a sponsor. What's a sponsor? It's a company that creates DSTs, okay? We are one of the 54 sponsors that exist in the DST world. So I, Edward Fernandez, write the check. I sign on the loan docs for our DSTs, which happens to be in senior housing, assisted living and memory care. Have been doing it for 15 years, okay? So if I'm writing a check for 20, 25 million, $30 million, do you think I am not going to do my due diligence on that piece of real estate? Because I don't know, Mr. Investor, I don't know if you or anyone else is going to invest in this deal. I may have to keep it. Yeah. Right? So because I have to buy my own real estate, I have my own real estate team here. I have my own analyst here. I have investor relations team here. I have my own accounting team here. I have my own sales team here. I have my own digital marketing team here. I've got, we're fully integrated. Right. Where a broker is not. So that's the difference. So when we get a third-party DST, we run it through the same financial models as we run our own deals. And that's how we evaluate whether a DST is a good one, an okay one, or not so okay. So that's the difference between my rivals and 1031 crowdfunding. I just need to make sure that was understood. Well, that's a perfect segue because the next question I was going to ask you is, and everybody's in... You know, I'm in marketing, so I know the compliance. Everybody's investment situation is different. Right. You know, we can't just say everything on the website, you know. Right. It's very specific of what we say. But generally, what would you say is the difference between a good DST, an okay DST, and a not-so-great DST? It's a great question, and I think that is where a lot of people get lost, if you have 60 opportunities on the website like we do today, all of them are great. How do we know what's great? How do I, how do I, where do I start, right? Here's how we do it. We want to be very, very conservative. So, and this is going to take us down, maybe not so much a rabbit hole, but we're going to make a left-hand turn here really quick because I think it's very important. The DST has these upfront expenses, okay? Even though the upfront expenses do not affect your capital account, let me explain, okay? When you buy a traditional piece of real estate and you sell it for a million dollars, you don't get a million dollars. You get a million dollars less all the fees to close that piece of real estate, right? You may get 900,000. What is that, 10% in fees? You're at a negative equity position. Day one. Day one. So now you have 900000 right? And you got to invest that 900000 and try to make up the $100,000 you, you paid in fees. It's the same thing with the DST. The only difference is you're not starting out at 900000 If you invest a million dollars, you get credit for the full million dollars and your cash flow is based on the full million dollars. Now, if you sold the DST tomorrow, you would get $900,000 because there's fees involved. So the biggest thing for a DST is it's break even. Okay. Even though I put a million dollars in and I'm getting credit for a million dollars, if I sold it tomorrow, it's only worth 900,000. How do I get from 900,000 to that million dollars? And when is that going to happen? That is break even. 
So we underwrite the DST for its ability to overcome the upfront expenses. So that, now, the good deals overcome the upfront expenses in five years or less. Because I want to know, a DST has a finite t- time. If, you, if they have a 10-year a loan on it, okay, the DST turns into a pumpkin in 10 years, okay? Because you can't refinance, right? You, you got a balloon payment. So if the DST breaks even or overcomes this upfront expenses in three years, that means I got seven years of wiggle room. The, the, the market can do this, right? And I'm still okay. But if the DST never breaks even in that 10-year period, either that property's getting sold at a loss or it's springing into an LLC, which is a whole other conversation. Right. Right? So that's what we do. So we have DSTs on our website that break even in five years or less. We have DSTs on our website that break even in six to eight years. And we have DSTs on our website that never break even. And so we, we educate the investor on what is what because the most important thing, and I know my rivals are going to take this and use it. I, I understand, but I'm not worried about them, right? The most important thing is our goals. And our goals for our investors is, number one, protect your principal. Number two, provide you stable income. Number three, with the potential of appreciation, all in that exact order. And doing the underwriting to make sure that the DST breaks even in a certain period of time helps us accomplish those goals. Oh, that's good stuff. That was, I know. A, that I know. was a great. Oh, that's good stuff. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna. We're gonna see that on a couple websites coming up here soon. <laughs> I know everybody's gonna use it's it. Fine. You know, it's. I guess it's a, a compliment, but it is annoying. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, one thing we didn't talk about. I I invest in a DST. Mm-hmm. Let's say I invest with you today. Sure. What can I expect after, you know, what, what is it? We haven't talked about cash flow. We can't get too much into cash flow, but after I invest, I receive a check every month or. Yeah. So, so these are all stabilized assets, right? So I'll tell you what the asset types are. So we've got, you've got all institutional quality assets. So you have, you have multifamily, you have industrial, you have senior housing, you have student housing, you have self-storage, you have single-tenant triple net like Amazon, Dollar Generals, Walgreens. Um, From some time to time, you have mineral rights, you have land lease deals. You've got the full, now they have what's called BFRs, built built for rent. These are single-family homes that are pulled together and they act like apartments. So you have those. So those are the asset types that in the, in the DST world, all of these assets are stabilized, right? right. You cannot use non-stabilized asset and all of them are producing cash flow. So when you invest in a DST, the following month, based on the date that you invested, you're going to receive your first distribution, right? On the 15th of every month and every month after that. 
in a period between three to six years, I know a lot of people use five to seven years or seven to 10 years. I've yet to see a DST go past six, six years. So I've seen DSTs liquidate in 18 months. I've seen DSTs liquidate in five to six years, but I've never seen anything go over six years. So within a three to six year on average period, the DST should liquidate, right? And the goal is to make sure that the DST liquidates that's accretive or a benefit to you, right? And when that DST liquidates, we're going to call you 60 days prior to that. Hey, Tom, you need to set up your exchange account. DST is selling. And now you're in another 1031 exchange. What would be your advice for a first-time 1031 exchange investor? Don't allow a guy to pressure you to buy something because you're in your 45-day period. It's number one. You got a lot of sales guys out there that understand that you have 45 days. And as soon as they find out you're in your ID period, the pressure comes. Don't allow that pressure to make, you know, uneducated decisions. Make sure that you're dealing with an individual. Oh, you know what? There's one thing that I think is very, very important, right? Because we're giving advice here, right? That's one thing. Make sure... You're not being pressured by a sales guy. They, they smell blood in the water. Oh, yeah, like sharks. Just make sure that doesn't happen. Another thing that you can do, though, another thing that's very important is you can go to a website called FINRA Broker Check. Most people do not know this. Okay, FINRA, F as in Frank, I, N as in Nancy, R as in Robert, A as in Apple, Broker Check. And whoever you're talking to, you can ask, can you provide me your... CRD number, Charlie, Robert, David number, okay? And that guy or gal should have a number. If you punch that number into the FINRA broker check website, you will know their entire history of how long they've been in the business. Are they getting sued? Do they have arbitrations? And I can tell you this, red dots are not good, okay? We're not Christmas yet, but if that individuals crd profile looks like a christmas tree run because they have lawsuits they have arbitrations they have pending settlements they may only be in the business for three years they may be in the business one year they may be in business five years i bet you look me up i got one red dot one 1994 i was riding a motorcycle right i didn't want to get in trouble i got pulled over and i gave my brother's name it's the only red dot i got I don't has have he forgiven any. you that for has he forgiven you for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He didn't get in trouble. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> but that's the only red dot I've got. No, I don't have no arbitrations. I've got no lawsuits. I got no nothing. And to be in the securities industry for so long and not have that is a rare thing. But I think that's very important for people. Make sure you look up who you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Because if you want tenure, you can find out whether they have it or not. If you want people that are not going through issues with other investors, you'll be able to see that. But I think, you know, that's its worth weight and gold. So please check that out. I believe people are required to have that. Whoever you're dealing with, I think you're required to have that little stamp at the bottom or a link at least to the broker. Yeah. Website yeah. It, should, it says, it, yeah, you're so required. You're dealing with, you can go to the bottom website and just click the link. Broke FINRA broker check type in their name or their CRD number right. and you'll see their entire history. Right. So I think to wrap up where, 
what are some good places that people can go to learn more about 1031 exchanges and DSTs? 1031 crowdfunding. Was that a softball? It was. <laughs> Go to 1031crowdfunding.com. We've got blogs. We've got news releases. We've got, uh, we've got, I mean, we've got so much information on there. You don't even have, I mean, look, I want you to register, right? But make sure you're accredited to do so, right? And Go, what do you mean by register? Well, yeah, there's a big orange button on the top there, and it says register now. And once you register, one of our... Uh, Financial representatives will give you a call to understand your situation. But when you register as an accredited investor, we determine whether we have a pre-existing relationship or not based on conversations that we'll have with you. Then we'll give you full access to the website so that you can view all the opportunities. So information-wise, 1031 crowdfunding. You want to kind of look at DSTs? Register now on 1031 crowdfunding. And by the way, we don't only do DSTs. We have opportunity zone funds. So if you sold stocks or you sold a business or something like that, you want to defer taxes, we have those. We have notes. We have partnerships. We have REITs. We have public REITs. We have everything we do, we have real estate. But it is a wealth of knowledge to go to 1031 crowdfunding. And then I also have a book. Right. I was going to mention, we're going to put in the show notes, the link for the 1031 exchanges made easy yeah. that you wrote. Yeah. And so anyone can download that for free and it's a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, look, at, we'll, we'll wrap up with this. DSTs are not that complicated. You just need to speak to the right people, deal with the right firm. And it's not for everyone, but Based on the aging population and the baby boomer generation, it's definitely a potential good fit for them. Sounds good. Hey, we tried to make 1031 exchanges and DSTs as fun as possible. Oh, we my God. <laughs> <laughs> there are some DST like shows. Shoot me in the head. I, 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 I just couldn't watch it for 30 seconds. So we're trying to make it a little bit more entertaining, you know, but some of this stuff, you got to be like technical. I'm not a lawyer. Try not to be a lawyer, but look, I'm trying to have fun. Right. So, you know, the Ed Fernandez show, what is it all about? It's all about life. Right. right. You know, we're going to teach you about how making money. We're going to teach you about DSTs. We're going to teach you about 1031 exchanges. But we're going to teach you about how to be a good husband and, and, and how to be a good dad. And, and I mean, it's just a wealth of knowledge. So please, if you like this show, stay tuned. Yep. Like and subscribe. Comment. It really helps our you know, show in the algorithm. We appreciate the listeners and uh, appreciate you, Ed. Oh, well, thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm looking forward to... Uh, the next one, I don't know. What episode is this one? We don't know. We'll figure it out. We have we have a lot <laughs> in the queue, man. So we'll see. All right. Well, thank out. you so much, Tom. Okay, thank you. All righty.